This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything you should know about Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's Second Mission Foundation, all one word, dot org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. If you haven't been there yet, check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. Hi, guys. So this week is a little bit of a weird one. Um, it's a very August, this is going to be a very August episode because this week I had two guests lined up, um, so I could actually get ahead <laughs> on recording, uh, but for very different reasons, neither one was able to make it. Um, so, uh, I wanted to make sure we put out something though for you guys. So I'm, uh, recording this one solo, which will be a bit of an adventure. Um, I've got a bunch of stuff on my mind, and I'm going to see if I can keep it within, if I can ping pong back and forth within the left-right limits to make sure that uh, <laughs> it's it's interesting, coherent, um, personal, but not you know cutting my veins open, and uh, and helpful and timely and interesting and all that for you guys. Okay, without further ado, uh, please welcome. Oh, wait, I should do the proper intro, shouldn't I? Sorry. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this, well, it's not really my profile in Havoc, but this is me talking on Profiles in Havoc this week. Hi guys, so thank you for indulging me on this solo episode. I will try to keep it short and succinct because if I don't try to do that, uh, there's no telling how long and how widespread <laughs> this this episode uh, can be. So, um, sorry, I had to take a swig of water there uh, just to prep myself. So, um, I don't want this episode to be a huge bummer, but there's kind of no way around it. Um, I want to start with a story. So the other week I was at dinner with um, an acquaintance of mine who we become friendly, um, really good, intelligent guy. He runs a, a local, um, he's the head of the military science program at a university and, uh, you know, still in the army, 
has been in for coming up on 20 years. Yeah, I don't think he says 20 yet. And, uh, you know, multiple deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, what have you. And uh, I did something that I do very, very rarely, which is uh, give my opinion. <laughs> it's the most dangerous thing you can do nowadays, right? I dare to speak out about stuff. and But I dared to give it only because it was about stuff that, you know, I had done personally, um, so it wasn't you know speculation or pontificating. It was just saying, "Hey, from my foxhole, this is what this looks like." And it started off with me asking him, you know, kind of, I was like, "Hey, do you get why, um, you know, everywhere we go in the city, we see uh, Ukrainian flags?" And shows of solidarity with Ukraine, which I fully support, for the record. But I was like, where the fuck was all that when we were in Afghanistan? And why do you think it's so different? Why do you, not, not that the wars are different. We know a lot of the sociological and cultural differences between Ukraine and Afghanistan. But I was like, why, um, why are Americans who I... And, and I'm, again, completely speculating here, but Americans that I'm assuming were not very in favor of much of the global war on terror, all out here flying Ukrainian flags and very pro-war and very anti-Russia in ways that they could never be anti-Taliban for the past 20 years or anti-Al-Qaeda. And instead, we're constantly trying to find root causes. You know, why do they hate us so much? And um, that was the that was the inciting incident. That was that was the question that kind of got this ball rolling. And it was interesting because our waitress, we were having dinner at a restaurant, and our waitress happened to be Ukrainian, and uh, she didn't hear that question, but she did end up coming by and talking to us about family of hers that's still in Ukraine, and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I say all that to say that what that question ended up leading us to, and by the way, that question is probably worthy of its own episode. Um, but what it ended up leading us into was a discussion on Afghanistan. And many of you will remember in 2012 when Barack Obama and Mitt Romney were running against each other, the way that Afghanistan was framed was as being the good war. Iraq was the bad war. Afghanistan was the good war. Afghanistan was the war we should have been in. And because we went to Iraq, we took our eye off the ball in Afghanistan and that's the war we really needed to be focused on, and hence why we pulled out of Iraq. We only went back in because then ISIS sprung up, um, but Afghanistan was the good war. But how much has changed in a decade? Um, because my friend sitting here was incredibly pessimistic about all of it, and um, he I'm trying to stay a little vague. I'm not trying to dime anybody out, but um, he was um, very bearish on war in general. To the point, I guess I'll cut to the chase. What, what really ended up, the question that really ended up surprising me as we went down the rabbit hole and I said, well, hey, but we should have gone into Afghanistan, right? Because, you know, 
well, he's like, oh, the Taliban never attacked us. I was like, yeah, but the Taliban was the landlord for a bunch of tenants that attacked us. And there was plenty of more of that that could come. And we know that, and we know how many attacks were planned and all that. When he, he disputed a lot of that. He said, no, 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 no. Nothing else would ever would have happened. I was like, so London 7-7, Spain, all that stuff, all the cells we broke up, none of those would have done anything. Anyway, without relitigating all of our arguments, which I say, I try not to argue, but I do like not pretending I'm dumber than I am. <laughs> How's that? Uh, for splitting hairs. So uh, so I kept throwing things up till finally I just said to him, I said, hey, let's call him Bob. I said, hey, Bob, is war ever worth it in your point of view? And he said, no. I said, really? I was like, war is never worth it. Nothing is worth a war. He said, no. It's like nothing is worth sending young men to die over. So I hit him, obviously, with the most obvious example I could think of. I was like, so slavery. We shouldn't have fought the Civil War. And he said, well, no, now you're moving the goalposts. I was like, how? And he's like, well, no. He's like, that war wasn't worth it, but we had to do it. I was like, well, having to do it means that it's worth it. And he's like, no, 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 it's still not worth it. But we had no choice. We had to fight that war. And I was like, okay, well, that's a semantic argument. We're basically saying the same thing, that at that point, it's worth it. You know, your choice of semantics is different. And anyway, that took the argument in kind of a different direction. But I was stunned at how knee-jerk and resolute his answer was. And to be fair, one of the things that I really, that irked me, and one of the things that had me muttering to myself after um, was that here was this incredibly intelligent, articulate, experienced, knowledgeable officer who didn't believe he had done any good. And that, in fact, he might have even been fighting for a, if not outright malevolent, certainly a, not a good side, not a worthy side in the conflicts of the last 20 years. And it wasn't anything I hadn't heard before. I just hadn't heard it from someone like him. And he had actually, he actually knew many of the guys that had been there in the first wave of American infiltration into Afghanistan. Um, and I said, you know, if you, talked about how you feel with them and he's like oh yeah you can't talk to them about afghanistan like, they're so emotionally tied up in their relationships with the afghans because of who they were and because of being the first americans in afghanistan and all that he's like you can't talk to them uh they're too emotionally tied up in it um you know they, they can't see uh you know that afghanistan wasn't worth it and after having had our argument i was thinking in my own mind i think you're too emotionally tied up in hating our involvement in Afghanistan to be able to see clearly on this or to even have a, a logical discussion on it. Um, because I felt like my, you know, we both had experience in Afghanistan, but uh, I felt like, you know, I just 
personally, I just felt like I was dismissed. Like, no, just not worth it. Nope, not worth it to do that. And I was like, really? Because in my experience, I think it was very much worth it. I say all this because there was an interesting article just the other day in the New York Times uh, by Evan Rosen of the New York Times. And the article was, I mean, I'm mentioning him just to give him credit, but really the article was recounting the latest CDC offerings. Uh, CDC on Thursday, August 10th, came out with a report, and I'm going to read it here. I'll sum up some of the CDC's findings. In 2022, the number of suicides rose to the highest number ever in U.S. history. 49,500 people killed themselves. Of those, 40,000 were men. Um, The highest percentage of them were aged 45 or older. Uh, They also say a majority of them were white. And um, that was up from what had been a 5% increase in suicides in 2021. Suicides have been declining in 2019 and 2020, according to the CDC. Now, the good news is that the number of young people, 24 and under, committing suicide was down 8 point something percent. I think 8.1 percent. But everything else was up. Now, obviously, suicide is something that we talk a lot about in the veteran community. And I think we're not always very specific when we talk about why there's so much suicide in the military and veteran community. Um, You can look at a Cold War veteran with two years of service in the 80s, let's say. Maybe he ends up doing drugs, becoming homeless, killing himself. You can look at an Afghanistan veteran coming back from Helmand, kills himself within his first year back from Helmand. You can look at a 20-year decorated SEAL officer still on active duty who kills himself. I'm not sure all three of those people are suffering from the same root causes. And to be fair, I don't believe there's one cause. I don't, I, I'm generally skeptical of monocausal um, theories. I, I think, especially when we're talking about sociological trends, they, they, you can't necessarily pinpoint it to one silver bullet root cause. But I do think you can look at the aggregate and you can look at a lot of different components that are in that soup that lead to suicide. But I think in these cases, when you look at veteran suicides, you can, there's a lot of different reasons behind veteran suicide. Quick sidebar, I was talking to a friend of mine who works at the VA as a social worker, and he said that in the VA studies, they've identified that you know it's relatively young service members in that first year after separation from the military that they are at the highest risk of suicide. That's the predominant amount. Um, So again, a little bit different demographics than the overall civilian suicide trends. But nonetheless, I think there's a one through line though, and again, it's not monocausal. I don't think it's the end-all be-all explanation. 
think you can look at social media. You can look at, you know, uh, the New York Times, uh, sorry, the Daily News, rather, of course, points to guns. Um, you can look at lack of uh, civil society. You know, there's not a lot of 4-H clubs and rotaries and American legions and uh, football leagues and churches and all the rest of it. A lack of those civil society buffers that are there. You can look at the fact that men are more likely to be isolated and lonely and not have friends. Um, you can look at the higher rate of female instigated divorce uh, that can leave men on their back foot. And you can look at men's greater uh, or yeah, higher lack of impulse control. So, therefore, they might be more open to taking extreme, sudden, impulsive, violent action against themselves as opposed to women. Um, you can look at social media and all the amplifications that can happen there. You know, there's a million different things you can look at. So, this is not a single source dispossessive um, root cause for all of it. However, I think there's one incredibly important element that has gone drastically underreported that gets back to my conversation with my friend Bob. And that is, are you worth it? Is your purpose worth it? If your purpose was being a soldier, was it worth it? Was it for a worthy cause? Or has your cause been so degraded in your own mind that you don't think it was worth it? Or do you believe the country has been so degraded that you don't believe it was worth exerting the effort you did and the sacrifice you did? Or do you believe your sex isn't worth it? That men are innately toxic, violent, miserable creatures. That to me is an incredibly important question because I see it a lot with veterans that we've had on this show where people question their military service and question it in the light of, was I on the side of good? Now, to my way of thinking, as you guys have heard me talk about on the show before, 100% absolutely you are on the side of good fighting for the United States. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that the United States hasn't made mistakes, and it doesn't mean it doesn't make mistakes tactically, sometimes even strategically. But I think it, it's, a distinct, it's just a distinct ignorance of the rest of the world that would say that the United States commits any more sins than any other country in the rest of the world. As I've always said, the United States is guilty of the same sins as every other country on the planet. What makes the United States different is its successes that are unparalleled. But if you only focus on United States sins, you could say the same thing about any number of other countries. That's not what's distinctive about the United States. Now, you, don't, you may not agree with that, and that's fine. You may not agree that Afghanistan was worth it, that it was worth preventing any terror attacks inside the United States that stemmed from Afghanistan for 20 years. You might think it was not worth it to ensure at least one generation of Afghans grew up with an understanding of Western democracy, Western human rights, Western norms. You may not think it was worth it to destabilize every single geopolitical enemy the United States has just by being on the doorstep of China, Russia, and Iran for 20 years. You may not think any of that was worth it. 
you may not think it was worth it to have disrupted every single Sunni terror operation inside Afghanistan and some of the Shia ones that were there, but mostly Sunni. You may not think it's worth it, but you should know what the argument is against your position. And what troubles me more and more is I think the sense I get, the more veterans I talk to, is how many folks come into the military at 18 fired up with a rampant patriotism, in some cases, God forbid, a nationalism, which is, I would offer, well-intentioned, but intellectually shallow. Then they get deprogrammed. Then there's two courses of action that they take. They either double down on it and continue to be more impassioned but without any more ideological depth or intellectual depth, or they trade out that intellectually shallow position for somewhat more intellectually stimulating anti-Americanism. But they never won up from that, or they haven't yet. They never learned the answers, the rebuttals to that anti-Americanism. And that's what sometimes I try to offer on this show. And as you guys have heard me muse about before, I, I don't, I'm not always thrilled with how I'm able to do that because I, I try not to challenge people outright. But at the same time, I also don't want to be dumber than I am. I, 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 if I see something and I go, well, Hill, it's like, that doesn't totally jibe with my understanding of this and at least put it out there because I don't think it's psychically, psychologically good for veterans to beat the shit out of themselves for their military service, especially when I happen to think their military service was actually probably pretty righteous. Yeah, I mean, there, I get it. There are things that happen. People get trigger happy. There's collateral damage. There's sins. There's evils. There's a hundred percent. But let's stipulate that's going to happen in every single war. Those are tactical evils, which war, sadly, is going to engender. But is that a condemnation of the United States, or is that just a condemnation of war in general? And hence, it comes back to that question I asked Bob before. Is war ever worth it? That you have to stipulate, if you're going to go to war, there are going to be sins had. There are going to be evils done, sometimes unfortunately by us. So if we're going to go to war, it had better be worth it. Is this worth it? Is this worth us dealing with the Abu Ghraibs of the world? I humbly submit that if you don't know what the argument against your opinion is, then you don't know enough to hold the opinion you currently have. That's probably true for everything in the political realm. But it's certainly true for your own psychological self-defense. Before you beat the shit out of yourself, or I guess before you jingoistically just praise yourself, you should probably know what the arguments against it are. And really hash that debate out and understand what the positions are. There are very good reasons why we went into Iraq. I've laid them out before on this show. I can, I can give you some of the highlights here again. And they may convince you and they may not. But you should know what they are. And you should be able to reconcile them with your stated position. And go, hey, that convinced me. Or, hey, that didn't convince me. And here's why. 
or God, I, I got to get smarter on this. I don't know. I always thought this, or I was always told this, or somebody gave me bushwhacked, and I read it religiously, but I never really moved on from that. I thought that was the last word. Just to give you a little bit of a highlight. So again, as I've said before, in the wake of 9-11, it would have been, in my view, negligent of the United States to give Saddam Hussein the benefit of the doubt that he didn't have the number and scope of WMDs that he claimed to have, that even his inner circle thought he had, when we still had a smoldering Twin Towers. In the wake of 9-11, we couldn't take chances because we were getting hit out of nowhere. We weren't prepared for it. And Saddam had the motive. He had the means because he'd been using WMDs since the late 80s against the Kurds. So it's not like this was new that he would have WMDs. It wasn't a stretch of the imagination. And he had the opportunity to use them because we were on our back heel. So with all that evidence, was it a justifiable move to go into Iraq? Yes, 100%. It would have been negligent not to. And we know before the invasion that train after train after train covered with lead, so satellites couldn't penetrate it with imagery, moved out of Iraq into Syria. What was it carrying? We'll never know. We know WMDs ended up in Syria. Just saying. And we also found 500 tons of WMDs in Iraq, far less than what we expected to find. But again, it wasn't, nobody was disputing the fact that Iraq had WMDs. It was, did they have the number and the quantity, sorry, the quantity and the quality of WMDs that we had been led to believe? And if they never did, then Saddam picked the absolute worst time to bluff. Would attacks have come that would have been helped by Iraq? I think it's inevitable. Of course they would have. People could talk about the Sunni-Shia thing or the fact that Saddam was secular and all that, but we know Saddam was supporting Shia, Hezbollah, suicide bombers and giving them burials. We know that the Sunni, Ansar al-Islam, was operating in the northern northern Iraq against the Kurds, and they were linked to al-Qaeda. So we know links were there because it was my brother and I against my cousin, my cousin and I against the world, that whole trope. Um, that was informing how different enemies of America were operating together and would put aside their petty differences to focus on taking down the great Satan. So for me, and that's, uh, I'm giving a very wave top level um, justification because again, I've gone over this a a couple times on the show uh, more in depth, but for me at 100% was worth it. But again, you may not agree and that's fine, but you should at least know what that argument is. And you should probably know it from in more in-depth than what I just presented, to be fair. But you should know there's a, there's a strong counter-argument to it, though. And you should understand the privilege of hindsight, that to look back. And so the guy should have done this. It always, it always amuses me that with critics of the Bush regime, Bush is guilty of everything. <laughs> you know, his, his critics attack him for everything. Oh, he came in such a small footprint. You mean he was trying to invade as little as possible, to oppress as little as possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we'll, but, but then, but then, you know, we're losing all these people, right? So, what do you do? So he plussed up his troops. Well, then, then he's occupying. 
Okay, but, but that's what turned the war around, right? Well, yeah, but you know, but now he's occupying. Hey, and the bottom line is no blood for oil. Okay, cool, but what oil? Where did American companies get oil contracts? What natural resources were we stealing from Afghanistan and Iraq? None. French did. Chinese did. Germans did. They all signed contracts in those countries. Americans didn't. We had a pretty good separation between business and war. So for all those wars of racket people, why don't you take a look at France, Germany, China. Take a look at some of those folks before you come after the U.S. Show me the big U.S. contracts that were happening there. Smedley Butler was writing for a different time. Anyway, without going too further down that rabbit hole. My point being, know what the counter-arguments are. A lot of history, a lot of intellectual history happened before 9-11. You should probably know what that is. You should know what intellectual patterns you're falling in on. You should know what the arguments are to what happened after 9-11. And you should also understand what a benefit hindsight is. And that to actually put yourself in America's shoes in the wake of 9-11, as somebody that was at the towers when the towers came down, I can tell you I was incredibly heartened that we were going after them. Because you, I really didn't know where the next attack was coming from, and I almost died in the first one. So it meant a fuck lot to me. It was something I took very personally that we were going to avenge the deaths of whatever it was, 3,000 of my neighbors that day. Again, you may agree, you may not agree, but you should know what the arguments are against it. And you should especially know it, not because you want to be right, although we all are motivated by wanting to be right, myself included. But that's really secondary. The biggest reason is for the mental health of our veterans. And when we look at the people and the suicide rates in this country. If you don't think America is worth it, then it's really hard to justify so much of your life. Especially if you're in the military, but even not in the military. If you don't believe um, being a man has value, equal value as being a woman, but a different kind of value perhaps, but if you don't see that, or you feel rejected and that society has shut you off, then you better fucking get clear on that. And I personally am very uncomfortable being a party to anybody that wants to badmouth people just off the basis of their sex or indulge in knee-jerk anti-Americanism. Now we come to the most nefarious part of this self-loathing, this trait of self-loathing that drives, again, it's not monocausal, but I think is a key component behind so much of the suicide epidemic, external actors. So, the New York Times, just, I forget what it was, uh, three, four days ago, published quite uh, an article on Code Pink. Code Pink, you'll remember, was one of those knee-jerk anti-war and really, let's be honest, anti-American groups, incredibly vocal and outspoken, really came of age during the Iraq War and were ubiquitous, were everywhere, constantly on TV, and they still are. 
um, made a lot of big time friends and all that. Well, New York Times looked into them, found that the bulk of Code Pink's funding comes from American billionaire Neville Roy Singham, a pro-Beijing tech magnet and donor to progressive political candidates who funds media networks and political causes around the world and coordinates his efforts with the Chinese Communist Party. He married Code Pink co-founder Jody Evans in 2018. He lives in Beijing. The Times revealed he has attended CCP propaganda coordination conferences. He sat next to Yu Yun Kwan, a party official who oversees the dissemination of international editions of Xi Jinping thought on socialism with Chinese characteristics for a new era. New era. It's not the first time. Some of you will remember RT's big push in the early 10s to uh, demonize American efforts in Iraq um, and make big propaganda pushes. But this is pretty... I, I, there will be more of this to come, I'm sure. I can't wait, and I can speculate, but I won't, on who else has foreign ties. But this is truly jarring. How much anti-American propaganda did Code Pink spew? How many veterans signed on to an anti-war mindset because of Code Pink's haranguing, harassment? And they were funded by Beijing. There are third-party external actors that want you to hate America. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to unquestioningly love America. Again, we're not trying to opt for knee-jerk patriotism. But I would say, how about we opt for well-earned, intellectually sound patriotism that's actually examined all the options and goes, shit, on balance, the United States has done pretty fucking good by the world standards. And again, even if you don't come to that conclusion, at least know that it's out there. Know what it is. And don't simply be a pawn of nefarious entities and nefarious nation-state actors that, and I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to say this, want you to kill yourself. It is a blessing to our enemies if America's men are degraded. It is a blessing to our enemies if our own troops are demoralized about our own military actions. It is a blessing to our enemies if veterans pollute the American dialogue with knee-jerk anti-war tropes. Now, it doesn't mean you can't be anti-war. It depends on the war, for one thing. But it certainly means before you just go willy-nilly down that path, do your homework. Your voice carries weight. And doesn't and again, I'm not talking just politically. It's about mental health. It's about understanding that you do have value. America has value. So before you bash it and degrade your own psychological well-being, do research so you can defend your own mind, defend your own self-image appropriately. Again, is it the silver bullet that's going to stop veteran suicide? I, I wish I could say yes, and I don't think it would hurt. 
I don't know how much of an impact it would make, but I'm pretty sure it would make an impact. You have to be able to defend your own psychological health and understand there are entities that are determined to beat the shit out of your own psychological health because your suicide is a win for them. You are a pawn in a geopolitical game. Now, that's not the only reason to do it, just to spite the Chinese. But it's because you have, the, the real reason to do it is because you do have value. I would say the wars of the last 20 years have very much been worth it. And I would say those of us that fought in them have a lot of worth. We have a lot to offer. We have a lot of no shit there I was stories. We have a lot of experiential wisdom. We have a lot of anthropological wisdom. We have an awful lot of spiritual insight. That has been hard earned. Don't throw it away. The drain of intellectual capital from the most experienced Americans, the veteran community, is a true win by our enemies, and our enemies are actively lobbying for it. So, the old bumper sticker retort to my friend Bob. But other than communism, fascism, and slavery, wars never solved anything. You guys have value. The veteran community is worth investing in. It's worth protecting. And every time a veteran dies, it's a loss for our country because there's few that can replace that experiential wisdom. And when the veteran dies by their own hand, that is truly a tragedy. That is a murder. Self-committed murder. But a murder done and instigated that does actively aid people that wish the destruction of America, American men, and not to sound too grandiose about it, the last bastion of hope for humanity. Because if America goes, where the fuck are we going to go? What becomes the bastion for humanity then? Only so many people can fit in New Zealand or Switzerland, right? Okay, so I promised this was going to be a short episode, and it wasn't. That was the best I could do. Okay. Um, <laughs> thanks for indulging me, guys. Uh, this is a bunch of stuff that was clearly on my mind. Um, maybe it was on yours as well. It is interesting just how some of these things have come up in the last. You know, it's interesting these articles from the Daily News and the New York Times were written just so recently. But hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, you know, I started off this episode by thanking uh, Second Mission Foundation as a uh, sponsor of this week's episode. I should thank this episode's other sponsor, my own nonprofit, Veterans Repertory Theater. Um, you can find out everything you want to know about it at vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. We are building platforms for veterans and their immediate family members to create compelling live theater and events. Yet another avenue for veterans to say what's on their mind, get their voices heard, get their experiential wisdom out there to benefit society so that it doesn't die with you. That's not part of our mission statement, but that is very much uh, part of why we do what we do. 
Um, so go to vetrep.org. While you're there, you might want to scroll down the homepage. Um, you will see an option to subscribe for free to our literary blog. And that means every day you will receive a little piece of veteran writing in your email inbox, followed by a bunch of shameless plugs about everything going on at Veterans Repertory Theater. So again, that's vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P dot org. Okay, um, I need to thank this episode's producer, Mike Neal. And I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of everyone at Havoc Journal. Thanks for checking us out. We'll see you next time with maybe an actual guest. Because <laughs> we should have a bunch more. And I got these two guys from this week to make up with. So uh, we'll be back with somebody exciting and new on the next Profile in Havoc.